Turn over, if you would, to Acts chapter 3. And we ask this question a lot, I think, in life, or at least we think this question. Will things ever be made right? Will things ever, things that have gone wrong, things that have happened to us, will they ever be set right? Will things ever be made right? Will things ever be fixed and restored to the way God created? Obviously, he didn't create things the way that they are. Did he? No, he didn't. I mean, not in the the broken sense, not in the, the fallen sense, but we wonder, will things ever be made right? And we're going to get some answers from the book of Acts. And this is kind of an unusual place to look for Bible prophecy, but it's actually here. As we saw last time when we were talking about, you know, will it ever get better? And, and today we'll say, will, will things ever be made right? And without the Bible and without knowing what God says about the future, this would be pretty bleak because we would hope things would get better, but we would have no confidence that things would get better. We would have no way of knowing if things are going to get better. But having the scripture and having Bible prophecy predict an end to sin, an end to rebellion, an end to pain, an end to tears, yes, things will be made right. Things will all balance out because God will eventually put down the wicked, those that reject his love, and fix it all. Amen? Won't that be a glorious day? So we're in a series called To the Ends of the Earth, and I love the idea that the gospel is spreading. The early church has been born. The gospel is going through the first location, which is Jerusalem. And they're to bring the gospel not just to Jerusalem, but it's supposed to continue out in a radius from Jerusalem, and it'll eventually get from there to the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel reached here in the Chicago area, and certainly Chicago, Illinois. We need the gospel, don't we? We need the gospel so desperately, but so does everywhere else. And that's the book of Acts is, is showing us how the gospel went from Jerusalem and spread to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again. And then he made many appearances. For 40 days, he showed himself alive to people that weren't really expecting him to rise, although he had just told them he was going to. The Bible predicted that he would rise they had lost all faith. They had deserted him. They had denied him. They, they, they couldn't even believe. One, one said, I, until I touch the, the scars, I'm not going to believe. Well, Jesus showed himself to him as well to Thomas. And Thomas fell on the ground and said, my Lord and my God, Jesus is so gracious. He is so kind to show us these truths that he is real, that he did rise. And for those 40 days, he made appearances. He helped restore Peter privately, I believe right after the resurrection, and then publicly on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter was restored to his position. And then 
Peter became this, he went from this coward to this mighty, courageous preacher. And we're going to be in his second sermon again today. Jesus ascended into heaven after those 40 days, but he had promised a return. He's coming back, but while he's gone, he gave us the Holy Spirit. We have this wonderful promise of the Spirit of God that indwells every believer that is involved in our lives and can be involved if we yield to him. And when we do, we, we, will, we will do the things that God wants us to do. We will do right. We won't do wrong if we yield to the Spirit of God. That's the secret of the Christian life. So Jesus is coming back, but until then, we have the Spirit of God the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit came down 10 days after Jesus ascended. And the Holy Spirit came upon the Christians, the, the men that were kind of unlearned. All of a sudden were speaking in foreign languages that they hadn't learned. And the people that were assembling in Jerusalem, the Jews from all over the world, were amazed that these ignorant fishermen were speaking in their language. This wasn't gibberish as what tongues seem to be today to me. This was a, a known language and, and people were amazed at this. And the things that were happening were truly incredible. Peter gets up and preaches the most powerful sermon. 3,000 people believe and are saved and are added to the church. The church is unified. The church is excited. The church is growing. They're having all things in common. They're turning the world upside down. And then we read about Peter and John going to the temple to pray. Oh, they loved the house of God. The temple must have been a beautiful place and a special place, even though the Shekinah glory had left and a long time ago. And, and, and the veil of the temple had been torn because now we don't have to have a, a man to give us access to God. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. I had the pleasure of sitting down at a Shabbat dinner with a Jewish friend and she was so gracious to invite Karen and I over, and we had a wonderful time. And she said, Pastor, you know, I understand why Christians don't keep certain things because us Jews, we've added all this and, you know, stuff that's really not clear in scripture, you know, lighting certain candles, praying certain prayers, and all that as we were doing at her dinner. But she says, Now, some things are really clear, like don't eat pork, and, you know, certain things are really clear. Why don't Christians follow that? I'm like, Thank you for asking this question because I said, when God told us what to do, the Ten Commandments, we broke them. They were being broken as God was giving them. I said, we cannot keep the law. So Jesus came and kept it for us. So I said, he fulfilled the law and the prophets. Go back and read the prophets. Go back and read about this one that was going to come. And there's no other person in human history that fits the bill. But Jesus does in every way. And when he died, the temple, the veil was torn in two. But Peter and John still went to the temple to pray. I think they had ulterior motives too. I think they were going uh, because God was prompting them. God had a man that needed a special thing in his life. There was a man that was lame from birth and he was sitting there begging, probably in tatters. Peter and John were passing by and the man says, would you give me some money? And they turned, they stopped and they showed compassion. They said, Silver and gold, we don't have any of that. But we do have something in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that man just didn't, just didn't slowly stand up. He leapt up. 
And he was jumping and he was singing. He was praising the Lord. So this is the context of what we're getting into again today in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. So then Peter begins as people are gathering around. This happened at a gate going into the temple. But now they're in the temple environs. They're under what's called Solomon's porch. I believe this was a portico that would have been just to the south of the temple. Right where, in the vicinity where Al-Aqsa Mosque is today. If you remember our In Grace episode, we filmed inside Al-Aqsa Mosque. That's the Silver Dome Mosque. And we filmed inside the Dome of the Rock, the Golden Dome Shrine. That's the, that's the center of the problem even today. The, the, the latest battle from Gaza into Israel is, is described as the one to free Al-Aqsa. And so, in this place, this important place, Peter and John, this man drawing a crowd. These people knew that he was lame. Now they, they see he's walking. I mean, you can't deny something incredible happened and they start to marvel. And Peter begins this wonderful sermon, the second sermon that we read about. And he's preaching this powerful sermon. It's very impromptu. He wasn't, you know, he didn't study for it. Uh, he, he was just speaking from his heart. And we had a, a wonderful man in, in Day Springs Chapel today. He came in a little unexpectedly, and, and Chaplain Howe uh, asked if, if we would like to meet him. He was a, a chaplain in Ukraine, and he was in Ukraine yesterday, and, and, and he came to attend some of the meetings and, and visit some churches just for a few days, and he's going to be going back. And he said that when he was young, he was yearning to find God. His father had killed himself and he was searching and he was trying to find God and he was, he was praying the prayer book of the, of the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And, and somebody walked by and said, what are you doing? I'm praying the prayer. He said, would you ever like to pray without having to read a book? And, and Vlad, the chaplain that spoke in, in chapel today, he said, yeah, I would love that. I would love, because I don't have to carry a book around. I can just talk to God. Yes, that's what God wants. He doesn't want a, a, a red prayer. He doesn't want, not to say that if, if we pray a prayer that's written down, it's wrong, but that's not what God desires. God wants to hear from us. And now I'm talking about Peter preaching a sermon he hadn't prepared, but, and we need to prepare if you're ever going to speak uh, the word of God, make sure you study, make sure you know the text, make sure you can, can flesh it out for people. But also don't forget that God wants you to speak from your heart too. Okay. So Peter is preaching now. He gives Jesus the credit. He's, this isn't us. This is Jesus for healing this man. And then he says something that we can't do. Uh, he says, you, you traded in the prince of life, he calls Jesus the prince of life, for Barabbas, for a murderer. Now, again, we have to be more, uh, we have to have more tact when we're speaking to Jewish people. But remember, he, he was there. He was a disciple. He's Jewish. He can say things like, um, you know, Zvi uh, Kalisher from Israel, uh, Menno Kalisher's father, the, the pastor that we know in Israel. They, they, they'll say, unbelievable things that I could never say, but they can say it and they get away with it. it. It all depends on the context. But Peter said, you know, you traded in the perfect prince of life for a murderer. And they did. They did. 
for Barabbas. But the prince of life raised from the dead. And he said, John and I are witnesses and we're witnesses of this. So Peter was, was tough in his preaching, but he also softened his tone. He said, he said that what you did was out of ignorance. As the prophets had predicted, the prophets had predicted that the Messiah would suffer. Not to say that they should have still done it. No, they shouldn't have, but the, the prophets did predict it. Now let's look at Acts 3, and we'll start in verse 17. We've already covered this, but let's cover it again to understand the, the context of what we're dealing with now. In Acts 3.17, it says, And now, brethren, I what or know that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God did before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ, which is the predicted one, the Messiah, the anointed one, should suffer. Hath he hath so fulfilled. So the fact that Jesus was traded in for a murderer, it was predicted. It was predicted he would suffer. Where? Well, we gave you some of those last time, but let me give you a fuller passage that really speaks to this. This passage is so powerful. I pray for our Jewish friends that they would read with fresh eyes Isaiah 53. I was able to read Psalm 22 in a Jewish gathering, a solidarity for Israel gathering, where they asked me to come and speak. And I read Psalm 22, and I was praying as I was reading that their eyes would be opened. Listen to these words by David. You're great. You're great. Man, that you, you, you venerate, and you should. David, King David wrote these words, and then he wrote Psalm 23. But Isaiah 53 is also powerful. He, in verse 3, is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. That's why I'm not so worried when the world despises us. And the new speaker of the house, Johnson, is being despised by certain people in the media and others. Because when you speak what, the truth of what God has to say, people don't like that. They don't like that. Jesus was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's not a physical healing. That's a spiritual healing. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see this? Do you see how this was predicted? That Jesus would suffer? That the Messiah, the, the promised one, would come to bear our sins? They missed it. This crowd in the temple had missed it. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Do you know when Jesus was being accused? And, and often during the accusation in his trials, he didn't answer. Or he did answer, but it was with silence. Sometimes silence is a really good answer. 
He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. Even Jewish scholars all agree this means died. Cut off out of the land of the living, right? That's died. You, you, you're, you're dead. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave, again, you don't bury living people. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Isn't that interesting? All of these prophecies, he wouldn't open his mouth. He was going to be, uh, he was going to die. He was going to be buried with, um, in the vicinity of the wicked, but it was a rich man's tomb that he was buried in because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth, mouth yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Now this is where it gets better. He shall see his seed. These, these words are written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What do we have here? We have living, a living Christ again, right? A living Messiah. He's risen from the dead. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And it continues that way. I once had the opportunity to do the funeral of one of our church members. Um, and the wife had died and the church member had a Jewish background. So they asked me to do the funeral. And I read Isaiah 53 totally through. And I didn't tell him where I was reading from. And I looked up and I said, and that was the great prophet Isaiah. Okay, so going back to Acts, Peter says in verse 18 of Acts 3 that God had showed by the mouth of his prophets. God's already said this. Okay, Peter, still speaking from Solomon's porch, said that if they would change their mind, he said, repent, which is to change your mind, their sins would be blotted out and times of refreshing would come. And even though they had done a terrible thing, there is still hope. I was speaking at the Pacific Garden Mission yesterday. And I was speaking to a crowd of people that probably thought there was no hope. And I said, we are all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're, none of us are righteous. The best we can offer God is filthy rags. That's the best, the most, the, the most righteous thing we can do for God on our own is filthy rags. I said, we all need a savior. We all deserve help. We all need a savior. And Jesus will save you if you'll simply believe. And we had several people yesterday indicate that they were putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And I tell you, that's the power of the gospel. We are all lost. We are all hopeless, but there's always hope. There's hope for anybody, no matter how bad you are. Remember one of my last messages, I said, with the song Amazing Grace, it saved a slave trader. Could it save anybody? Could it save me? Could it save a Hamas member? And, and you know that I, I got to meet a Hamas member, the son of Hamas, the son of one of the founders of Hamas, put his trust in Jesus. So God can save anybody and all need to be saved. Now, we know times are going to get better. This times of refreshing are going to come. In Isaiah eleven six, it talks about the, the wolf lying with the lamb, dwelling with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion. I mean, you don't put these different animals together in the zoo enclosures because you're only going to have one animal left, and it's not going to be the lamb. 
Okay, it's not going to be the, the small animal. It's not going to be the, the, the little cow. Uh, it's going to be the other creatures that are carnivorous and, and hungry. But there's a day when this earth is going to be reset and things are going to be restored. Will things ever be made right? Yes. Yes. There is a better future guaranteed. We don't have to wait till Jesus comes back, by the way. You can live that life now. And I'm not saying everything's restored, but we can live a life of refreshment, a life of restoration today, even though God will eventually one day make everything right. So that's in review. So let's plow into the new text, which is verse 20 of Acts 3. And this is Peter's wrap up to the sermon. It's kind of like my uh, introduction was very long today. My, uh, his wrap up is, is powerful though. So let's read these verses in Acts 3.20. And he shall send Jesus. Remember, he's already talking prophetically. There's times of refreshment coming, right? Um, and, and he says, we, and he shall send Jesus Christ. This is the father will send the son, which before was preached unto you, whom ye, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. That's an interesting phrase. Now, some people have said this means that all people will be saved. It's universalism. That's not true. That's not biblical. This is not talking of all people will be saved. This is talking about all things are going to be restored, made right. But the wicked, those that have rejected the gift of eternal life, rejected Jesus Christ, will be separated from God for all eternity and be in a place of fire called hell. That's just the truth. Okay? So... Heaven has received Jesus, and Jesus will stay there until the time of restitution, the time of restoration. He's coming back. He's coming back. And, and, and Peter continues, he said, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Another reference to prophecy. All of us need to pay attention to Jewish prophets, especially the Jewish people. Pay attention to what the prophets said. They've been talking about this. Jesus is at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God right now in heaven. But he is coming back. I think he's coming back very soon. You know why? Because a lot of Bible prophecy is all lining up today. Not to say anything has to happen before the rapture of the church, but if we're going to see a one-world religion, one-world government, one-world monetary system, uh, you're going you're gonna to start to see hints of that, and we see more than hints of that today, right? We've had major world events that haven't happened in the history of the world. All has happened in the last five years, four years. Crazy things are going on, folks. Russia, Iran, and Turkey are all operating in Syria, the nation to the north of Israel. Those are three of the major nations mentioned in Ezekiel's prophecy of Gog and Magog. Now, is that just coincidence that the two main countries in the world that are causing the most carnage and war, Iran and Russia, the two most wicked countries going on right now, are, are two of the countries, the major countries mentioned in Ezekiel? Is this just by chance? Or could all of these things be coming together? Was this Hamas attack part of the war of Gog and Magog that's coming upon Israel? 
it doesn't seem to be unless it's leading to something bigger, which it still can. I'm still really surprised that we haven't had a major attack from Hezbollah and Lebanon and Syria, but maybe it's because America has our military close by that things are going to be stable in the north of Israel. They'll be able to eradicate Hamas and Gaza. We don't know all the details, but it's interesting to me that all of this is coming together. We have the technology now where uh, money's digitized and we won't have cash. And so you can be turned off. You would take a mark and you can only buy and sell with the mark. All of these things are coming together. Governments and leaders are as weak as they've ever been. People are calling for, you know, doing away with borders. We've pretty much done away with one of our borders, right? And so we're, we're seeing this one world thrust, and, and that's what a lot of people are, are pushing today. But it all lines up with the Bible. That's what we're trying to say here. Okay, so Jesus is coming back. I think soon he's going to restore all things. When is that going to be? When is that going to be? Well, a lot of people have been wondering that, right? A lot of people are getting tired of waiting. Are you getting tired of waiting for all things to be made right? I am. And some say that he's not coming back or he would have already come back. And you know, the Bible predicted that. Look at 2 Peter 3. It says, knowing this in verse 3, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking about their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. I think that's referring to creation whereby the world that was, that then was being overflowed with water perished. That's the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now post-flood, by the same word are kept in store, reserved, what? Unto fire, okay? Against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It's coming. It's coming. And this fire is the way, part of the way that God's going to remake things. He's going to destroy the world and remake it. Not by a flood. He's promised to never do that again, but by fire. So this is coming. Make no mistake. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And all things will be made right. And at the name of Jesus, Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things of earth and things under the earth. So here's the deal. You might say, well, Pastor Scudder, I don't know if I, if I believe what you're saying. I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to believe the Bible. I'm giving you a lot of verses for you to believe the Bible. The Bible says judgment is coming. The Bible says that all things are going to be made right. The wicked are going to be punished. And, and that punishment is, is absolutely terrible. It's called the great white throne judgment. Look at Revelation 20, verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, those that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior are going to be cast into the lake of fire. This is horrible. But then everything is going to be made right. Sin is gone. Rebellion is gone. And then we go on into eternity uh, never having to worry about all of this anymore, this pain, the suffering, the cancer, the killing, and all of that. So there is a day when all wrong will be made right, all injustice will be corrected, all sin will be dealt with, all pain and sorrow and tears are going to be but a vague memory, and that'll be a glorious day. 
But we don't know when that'll be, but we know it will be. Okay? So remember that. So then Peter continues in Acts 3.22, For Moses truly said unto the fathers... So we're going back again. You know, the, the people like Andy Stanley and others that have said, you know, the Old Testament really isn't relevant anymore. We really don't need to focus on it and read it and study it. He's wrong and they're wrong. Why? Because the Old Testament is, is the foundation for everything. Uh, this is what Moses, uh, this is what Peter is saying. Go back to Moses. Go back to the prophets. So what did Moses say? Uh, Peter said, and for Moses truly said unto the fathers, which are the Jewish people, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, your brethren, like unto me. So Moses is saying, by the inspiration of God, there's someone coming like me that God is going to raise up from your brethren. So this is going to be a Jewish person, a Jewish man like unto me, Moses said, him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. Okay, this is Peter pointing the Jewish people surrounding him and the, the man that was lame that is now walking to Moses. What did Moses say? Are you listening? Are you listening? There was a man that went to his audiologist and he wanted to go get the latest and greatest of the hearing aids and uh, he got them and they were wonderful. Two weeks later, he went back to his doctor and the doctor said, how are the hearing aids? And the guy said, they're absolutely marvelous, absolutely wonderful. It's just incredible how good these things are. And the doctor said, so I bet your, your family's really happy. He goes, well, I haven't told my family. You haven't told your family? He said, no, I haven't told my family, but I've written them out of the will three times already. Are you listening? Are you listening? The Bible, the, the Moses and the prophets, we read Isaiah and we talked about David and we, all of these people that God moved along to predict the future. This was all predicted. We had better listen up. We had better pay attention. We had better wake up. So when Peter was talking about Moses saying this, he was actually quoting Deuteronomy 18. Look at that. Deuteronomy 18. This is what, this is the actual passage Moses was speaking. I will raise them up a prophet, capital P, prophet, from among their brethren, like unto thee. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command. God is telling Moses, there's one coming like you, and he's coming from the Jewish people. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, what he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. There will be a day of judgment for not listening to this person that's coming like Moses. And I submit to you, there's no one that fits the bill other than Jesus, Yeshua. So how was Jesus like Moses? And here's what one author's observations include. And there's 19 things. I'm going to go fast. Are you all ready? Are you all ready for this? Here we go. During the time of Moses, think about this for a second. Pharaoh ordered a mass killing of every Hebrew baby under the age of two. During the time of Jesus, King Herod ordered a mass killing of every single Hebrew baby in that environment under the age of two. Is that coincidental? Or is that a comparison where Jesus and Moses were similar? How about this? Moses was born without shelter, laid in a straw-thatched basket, floated down a river, and was picked up by Egyptian royalty. Jesus, too, was born without shelter, laid in a straw-filled manger, and was visited by royalty. Isn't that incredible? 
Number three, Moses came up out of Egypt to redeem his people. You say, well, Jesus didn't come up out of Egypt to redeem his people, did he? Yes, he did. Although he was born in Bethlehem, at a young age, his family fled to Egypt. And they stayed there until the threat was gone. So Jesus, too, like Moses, came up out of Egypt to redeem the world. It's incredible. Number four, how was Jesus like Moses? Or how was, well, Moses was a Hebrew from the priestly tribe of Levi. You say, well, okay, Jesus wasn't from the priestly line of of Levi, was he? Because we know that he was a descendant of David, who was a uh, uh, from the line of Judah. I'd say so. They're not the same. Well, actually... Uh, Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, her mother, we believe, was from the tribe of Levi. Her dad would have been the tribe of Judah. And Joseph, was legal father of Jesus, was from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of David, or the, the lineage of David. So Jesus actually did have Levitical blood, but... More than that, he is the great high priest from the order of Melchizedek. Okay? So, again, there are incredible parallels here of Moses and Jesus. Moses was royalty in Egypt, but left his position of power to serve and save and enslave people. Jesus was royalty in heaven, but left his position of power to serve and save an enslaved world. You see the comparisons? The sixth thing that we see, Moses brought the Israelites out of slavery. Jesus brought the Israelites and the world out of slavery to sin and to death. Number seven, Moses received the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments. Moses carried the law and pointed to the gospel. Jesus fulfilled the law and is the gospel. The Israelites experienced 400 years of bondage in Egypt until Moses was born, and then Moses rescued them. The nation of Israel experienced 400 years, 400 dark years of silence from God until Jesus was born and came to save them. Incredible parallels here, friends. Number 10, Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years and was doubtful to God that that he would begin his ministry to redeem the Israelites. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and nights and was tempted by Satan before he entered uh, his ministry to redeem the world. God spoke to Moses through a bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed. This is interesting. Similarly, God speaks to us through Jesus his body on a tree that took the fire of God's wrath, but was not consumed. Number 12, Moses chose 12 spies and sent them into the promised land. Jesus chose 12 disciples and sent them to proclaim a better promised land. Both Moses and Christ proved the truth of their mission by miracles and signs. They were both very powerful miracle workers, weren't they? Number 14, God's covenant was first given to Moses and God's covenant was finalized in Jesus. Isn't that marvelous? 15, how were they similar? How was, how was Jesus like Moses? Well, Moses is the author of the law. Jesus is the author of our faith. 16, Moses was the first mediator 
Jesus is the final mediator. 17, Moses held up a pole with a snake on it, and everyone that looked upon it was saved from their deadly snake bite. Jesus was held up on a cross. Everyone that looks upon him will be saved from their sin, the serpent sting of death. Number 18, Moses first initiated the Passover lamb to absorb the wrath of God. Jesus is the final and ultimate Passover lamb who fully absorbed the wrath of God for sin once and for all. 19, while the Israelites were dying of thirst in the wilderness, Moses struck a rock and from that blow it spewed water to quench their thirst. While we were dying of spiritual thirst in the desert of spiritual alienation from God, God struck a better rock, capital R, for our sins. Jesus, from that blow, offers us living water that will quench our thirst of spiritual alienation from God. Now, there are more comparisons. This is one author's uh, observation, which I, I uh, made a few changes to and tweaks to, but there are more comparisons between Jesus and Moses. You cannot deny, I don't think the, the similarities are incredible. And that's what Peter was trying to tell them there under Solomon's porch on the Temple Mount, the temple just off to their north. Peter continues to, to wrap up his sermon, and we have uh, several verses left. Acts 3.23. Since Jesus is the prophet that Moses promised, the people need to listen. They need to obey or suffer the consequences. Okay, here's what it says in Acts 3.23. And it shall come to pass, Peter says, under the inspiration of God, that every soul that will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. There's destruction ahead. There's, there's calamity ahead. There's hellfire ahead. Yea, and all the prophets, all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold these days. Read the prophets. Read the prophets. And then Peter says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And my friends, I don't think there's a, a, a stronger argument than that to love the Jewish people. They brought us Jesus. I mean, if Jesus is Jewish. How could we possibly not like them? Now listen, love them, love them. They need to know him. They need to know Jesus, don't they? They have all of this evidence. They're just not looking. They're, they're turned the wrong way. We can help by our love turn them around it to see the light that we see from our Savior. Verse 26, and this is the end of, of the sermon, the end of the chapter, and then the next time we're going to go into what happened. It's actually something better than his first sermon happened in the second sermon. This was an impromptu sermon, but I'm not going to give that to you now. I'm going to make you wait. Of course, you could also read Acts chapter 4, but then, then it won't be as suspenseful. Verse 26, unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, send him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Isn't there, there can't be a better blessing than that. He's not saying that you won't ever sin anymore once you have accepted Jesus as Savior. He is saying that when God looks at you after you've received Jesus 
as your savior, he sees Jesus' righteousness. So no longer does he see the sin, he sees the savior, he sees Jesus' precious blood that's paid for our sins once we've received that by faith. And judgment came upon these very people that Peter was talking to about 40 years after he's talking. The temple was destroyed by Titus. The Roman general um, killed about a million Jews. You think the Jews have had a hard time over all these centuries? They have. It's sad. It's awful. And then the rest were sold into slavery throughout the Roman Empire. The scriptures are true. What God says is true. We have to listen. Let's listen. And if we listen and we respond in faith, we say, I am a sinner. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I do believe you're the son of God who died for my sins and rose again. I believe in you. We're no longer under the, the hellfire, the damnation. And, and now we are saved. We're saved. And now we need to live like that. Live like that by the Spirit's power. The scriptures are very clear. If sinners will not hear the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be destroyed. All things are going to be made right, though, folks. I hope you've received Jesus Christ as Savior. If you haven't, uh, it's going to be terrible. You're going to have to face him at the great white throne judgment. But if you have, um, it's going to be much better, much better, glorious, as a matter of fact. So if you've never received Jesus, please do it right now.